Okay, and welcome everyone to episode number seven of the Zero Fucks, Zero FX, still not got a clue what the fuck it's called, podcast. Um, tonight we have with us Sean Morton, Rob Lancaster, and our lovely guest, Jason Street. So can we have a little round of applause? Thank you. Uh, welcome, Jason. Do you want to, I mean, I don't think you really need to do this, but do you want to give yourself a, a quick introduction so everyone can know who you are? Uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really good at talking about myself. It's like I, uh, I'm a hacker. Uh, I like to do security awareness training. I like to teach. I like to make things better. I usually do that by robbing people and then explaining to them how I robbed them. Uh, you know, they pay me first, so it's all good. It's like, and, and yeah, I do that, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a living. It's like, and it's a good one, uh, and because, not because of the pay, but because of the fun. It's like, I love uh, helping others, and I love uh, teaching, uh, so it's the best of both worlds. Excellent, and it looks like you're joining us tonight from the TARDIS. Oh, I wish. It's like, <laughs> it's like, trust me, if I ever see a, uh, a police box around, I'm going in. It's like, I actually have, uh, I actually have. Don't blink. And it's like, uh, and I have my TARDIS over here, but it's already, it's a hub, a USB hub. And whenever you plug something in, you hear the, the sound effects. So it's pretty cool. Nice. And okay. then I've got the, the Whipping Angel right beside the box. It's like, so, because that was one of my favorite episodes. Uh, the Angels Have the Box. It's like, uh, uh, that was one of my favorites. Yeah. Very cool. I'm, I'm, yeah, feeling some serious man cave envy i must be honest i feel i feel I'm, naked i'm sat in my kitchen so you know i've also got man cave envy even though i'm not a man there we go <laughs> or a cave or a, i don't have a cave either now um so yeah thank you so much for joining us tonight um so sean would you like to kick off with the first question sure um so i think a lot of our listeners will probably have heard the story that you gave on uh, Darknet Diaries uh, about the uh, the Beirut bank job. And I've got to say, I, I must have listened to that episode like legit about 15 times. I absolutely love listening to that story, Jason, and I'm sure a lot of other listeners will. Um, my question is, has there ever been a time where a job has gone uh, even more wrong than that job than, than you described on that on the on the episode with Jack. Uh, has there been a time where a job's just gone catastrophically wrong? That is a very good question. Yeah, and I, and I like the uh, fact that you approach it that that was wrong. That was a lot of people go and look at that and they build that one up like that was an achievement. And I always have to correct them, like, no, I screwed up. That was bad. That was bad on me. It's like, <laughs> it's cool because uh, uh, Jack from Dark Knight Diaries, it's like, he's also a very great storyteller that I, I'm sure helped a lot with the story. But also the fact that I succeeded and I survived. It's like, uh, it would have been a totally different story if it would have gone the other way. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a fail. That was not my greatest success or greatest story. Uh, with a client, that was just my greatest fail that I, I, you know, it's like falling down uh, in such a way down the stairs or something like that, where you like, you know, and then you just land and go, ta-da, it's like, cause, you know, <laughs> everything's fine and you didn't spill your drink or something. Uh, so um, I would say 
I've had some bad jobs um, where we've had clients where they were like very upset. Uh, I've had one where they canceled the contract, uh, not canceled the contract. They just uh, canceled the rest of the engagement because they found me in their server room. It was in the scope of work, but they didn't actually think I was going to be doing it. Uh, I'd be able to make the get in because it was a defense contractor in D.C. Uh, they were wrong. Uh, it's like and so they had to, to cut the engagement short. Uh, that one was really bad, but where people were like really angry at me or upset, um, nothing that was like, I think that would actually make it sound like it was bad because it's like, I did one, uh, with a treasury department and, um, the, um, uh, I did one with this uh, treasury department. I got in, I broke in and stuff, you know, and everybody was very upset with what I did because they gave me a very limited amount of scope and I still got in. That's just hurt feelings. Uh, speaking of hurt feelings, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I have is like sometimes when it's like, uh, I just recently found out, I just, uh, I mean, like literally recently just found out I was giving a talk uh, for a client and uh, I do internal security awareness training, not just external. And so in my internal security awareness trainings, I try to keep it like, my talks and one of the things that i do is usually i target someone or something randomly and just to show i don't try to go into all their their private uh things it's like in some of them it's like when it's a conference talk yes when it's internal no but uh but just by focusing on this one employee it's like and just showcasing some of their stuff uh they were uh i get i got feedback that they were very upset and uh, they were very upset with the fact that they were singled out and, and they were embarrassed and stuff. And so that really, I mean, that was, that's to me, one of the big fails. It's like, it's all those things, little fails, which like when you, because that person didn't learn as much as they could have because they had that negative experience and red teaming and purple teaming, whatever kind of teaming, when we do the testing of a network in a facility and trying to help out the uh the uh employee uh and the company in general we're trying to make it a positive experience it's not about you winning or you breaking something it's are they better after you left do they have a positive experience with it did they gain knowledge and were was that the most important thing of the lesson or the discovery uh, and in that case, I failed on that one because uh, uh, one of the employees did not. It's like the general consensus was great, but to me, still a fail uh, on my part on that one. Do you find that, um, well, I don't know whether this is a thing really with red teaming, but like at my company, we do fishing exercises and we find that right. like the IT company, the, not the IT company, the IT team sometimes try to cover up that people are falling for fishing exercises. So we'll, they'll engage us to do a fishing exercise. And then you know that they've leaked to the company that there's a fishing exercise. Oh. Do you find that happens with like red teaming or like the stuff that you oh, do? Oh, yes. Um, because I do it in person. It's like I've literally uh, – this, this totally reminds me of the story in um, – uh, uh, Beirut, Lebanon. It's like uh, not the same uh, engagement. It's like I, I've done several through the years there. And uh, but on this one, the first branch that we go to, boom, I'm in. I've got everything. I'm behind the teller line. I compromised every machine behind the teller line. It's like executed code showed that it was like an issue. 
by the time and they said and so what i did was i drove uh over my uh, with a person who was was driving the the employee uh or uh, trusted agent so to speak it's like they drove us to the very next uh location that was closest and as soon as we get there i am distinctly different i do not blend well in lebanon it's like also my my leather jacket was probably an indicator something was going on uh, i like to come with warning labels um but as soon as i got in the lobby and i was like excuse me i was like excuse me I, we don't know who you are you can't do anything here it's like and i'm like what and it's like yeah if you were trying to do something you can't do nothing here it's like we're, we're very secure here it's like, and I'm like, but you don't know that I, even if I'm a customer or not, it's like, no, we don't, we just, no, it's like, it, you just look very suspicious. So I am, I am making sure it's like for security. And, and I was like, okay, that's good. It's like, and, and so then we had to drive, we drove like unexpectedly to a like far, a little bit further location and uh and so i was able to compromise them and then also get a uh, their headquarters uh but the the thing that got me the most was it was that and, and i tell the client when that occurs and, and this is very important it's like i congratulations you got the checkbox and you successfully protected your company from the person who was trying to help you learn. It's like the next person who doesn't look like me, who doesn't talk like me, who doesn't do the things that I do is going to be probably way more successful now because you've given them a false sense of security. And the only thing worse than no security is a false sense of security. So congratulations. It's like, might as well put a wanted poster up uh, in your, your company to watch out for me. But then that means everybody else can come through because they don't fit that pattern. And so, yeah, what did you prove? So um, that's the same thing with phishing. Congratulations, you got the checkbox and they were able to feel good about themselves falsely about this one phishing exercise but now they're going to be getting a, uh, an email from the CEO or they're going to be getting an email from UPS or from something else and something that looks more legitimate. It's like, and they're going to click for it and that's going to cost you. And I would also mention one other thing. It's like Target lost over $350 million U.S. I mean, even in U.S. money or, or, or U.K. currency, that that's something, right? Uh, it's like, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so $350 million. Uh, the cause, the root cause of that compromise was a phishing email from their HVAC company, not even directly in Target. It was their HVAC company's email. So you tell the, the person who uh, wants to like make it like just a, a pro forma little stamp and you tell them, it's like, well, that's great. You get that check, but you're gambling potentially $350 million or more on the fact that you needed just that check mark. Because have you noticed that every company that has been breached and compromised is always PC compliant until they're not? 
Mm. It's yeah. like, it's, it's funny how that works out. It's like, <laughs> so it's like, that's the problem. It's like, if you're looking for pro uh, uh, compliance and not security, well then, yeah. But what you're doing is you're gambling on a false sense of security that you're going to be able to withstand these things and you are not. And you just hope they don't get tested. Yeah, it's and like, we have, sorry, I was just going to say, it's like we do some fishing exercises and none of the people open their email. And I'm like, when I get emails that look semi-legitimate, I still open it just, just to see. Correct, exactly. So if, if no one's opening it, then obviously it must have been leaked. That, right. that someone's doing a fishing exercise because why would you not open it otherwise? Like everyone opens all their emails. Like, oh, you have email. to at least look. Yes, exactly. In, in your experience, Jason, does this come from sort of middle management or do you think this comes from the top? Because obviously you're being engaged to test security and, and clearly, therefore, you would expect that there is some, some level of, of desire for that to happen. So do you think that they're actually just going through the exercise for the sake of it or do you think that it's being leaked lower down because there's a fear of being caught and then being reprimanded by higher ups i'm not sure it's like uh, I, i'm taking your question in several different meetings so i'm going to answer all of them it's like well one it's like from upper management or middle management i think it's more human nature uh we don't like failure we don't reward failure and we don't uh, respond well to failure, uh, unfortunately. It's like all my greatest successes and stuff, you know, were founded and forged on failure. Uh, so it's like, so I am quite happy with the fact that it's like to publicly acknowledge that I fail. I gave a talk one year. It's like, and all I did at every conference was I explained failures. It's like not cool failures, like robbing the wrong bank, but ones that I was like, yeah, this was stupid. This was bad on my part. It's like, do better than this um and because we need to learn from those um so uh, there's always these unreasonable expectations uh and some reasonable expectations in a workforce where it's like you have to perform this way you have to and you have to meet these metrics uh so that drives that aversion to actually finding out where the actual flaws are because when you recognize the flaw you have to respond to it Right now, it's ambiguous. It's just whatever. It's like, oh, we didn't know that happened. We didn't know that was aware of that. But now I'm presenting you documentation in a report that you paid for that shows you this was a finding. So now, six months from now, a year from now, someone is going to be able into a possible court filing or an investigation or a reporter is going to be able to say, but you did this test and it showed that uh, they passed or that they didn't pass and that you failed and you didn't make these improvements. It's like, and that is something that is legal ramifications that, that companies are afraid of as well. So there's all these different pressures. It's like the key ways that I look at things and the reason why I do it the way that I do it uh, when dealing with um, uh, clients and doing security awareness engagements. I don't do I don't do red teaming. I do security awareness engagements. Uh, I'm not testing. I'm teaching, uh, and so uh, that is approached way differently because they realize I'm not going to report whoever failed. I'm not going to report that there were failures or that this person messed up. I'm going to say this person caught me because on every engagement I make sure that I get caught at least once. 
uh, it's like sometimes like really good. It's like I had a really my biggest success was uh, in January 2020 in the before times uh, when I uh, did this engagement in Boston and I did the, the same company the year before this year. They genuinely improved. They did amazing work. I mean, I still was successful in certain places, but overall. I was detected in every section and asked not to uh, that they could not work on the machine, that I could not touch the machine. Even after a, another employee right next to him may have gotten uh, uh, allowed me to compromise them. It's like then they started figuring out like, oh, this is no. Yeah, it's like you can't touch this. And it wasn't because they knew who I was. It's like it was because they understood and they remember. And the CEO in their yearly meeting, like a few months before, had mentioned that security was a top priority. They made it an issue. They 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 went and did the things that I told them about getting their employees involved in security because every employee is part of the information security plan. It's like in programs, but they're not being educated that way. It's like security usually sees them as a liability instead of seeing them as the asset that they are, the vital team member that they are. It's like, and so I approach it way differently. So it's not that negativity of like, this is going to be reported later. It's going to show that you did a, a, a teaching exercise later. It's like, cause that's exactly what I did. Uh, so I think that is one of the biggest things. And just to segue, just a small little rabbit hole. It's like, when we talk about getting employees involved, it's like one of the biggest things that I, I try to talk to this, uh, people, especially when it deals with computers is we look at a computer because everything that goes on site it is virtual. So therefore it doesn't connect with a real world mechanism for people to understand the value that that is, uh, that they're placed with. So what I do is I explain it this way. Every employee is like a delivery driver. So if you hire and your company has a delivery driver, that they have that, that like an Amazon is like uh, like an Amazon uh, uh, driver. They're given an Amazon vehicle, correct? They're given uh, an Amazon vehicle. So on the first day of work, are they given a um, the keys to the van? Say, okay, good. You know what to do. Uh, here's the packages. Go go deliver. No, that's an expensive piece of equipment, correct? That is like. Uh, thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment and there's liability because they could get in an accident or they could hurt someone or something that's liability on the company it's like they're they have to go through a training program they have to understand you have to wear your seat belt you have to make sure that you got all these things here's the security things that we put into the vehicle to make sure that you are protected and you have to make sure that you're doing your part to engage in those and making sure that those systems are in place. We're monitoring this the, the van. It's like for speed and for, you know, making sure. We put a thing on the back to tell people to report if you're driving unsafely. You have to obey all the pre-defined uh, laws and ways to, to do uh, traffic. Uh, it's like we do all that for a delivery van. Now, if that delivery person, you know, a year two years, whatever, three months down the line, if they total that van, is the company just going to go, oh, that's too bad. Here's a new van. 
It's like, better luck next time. Do a little bit better, okay? It's like, we want you to do better now. It's like, and then they drive it, and then like three months, a year later, they wreck that van. Oh, let's just, oh, sorry, here's a new van. It's like, uh, you're going to be out for a day, but let, it, it, there you go, there you go. There's a new van. Uh, sorry about totaling that. And then they give them a new van. To, does that make sense? Usually no, after no. the first one, the driver is released. It's like, let go. It's like, or at least counseled and like trained or like having to be reassigned. But we allow our employees, all our employees, we give them equipment that may be worth a few thousand dollars, but the data is worth millions of dollars. What's inside the equipment is worth millions or the entirety of the company. And when they click on that link and they get in that accident, we go no harm, no foul. And we just give them a computer or, or they re restage it. I am very, if you look at it that way and they realize that just like a delivery van, that laptop is their equipment that they have to maintain. And it's their responsibility when they're operating it to operate it in a safe manner. And that they are part of the security team. So if they see something or something suspicious, they need to report it. If you see someone tailing you, someone following you constantly, tracking you, trying to see what's going on, do would you not report that to uh, your head office? If you see uh, someone coming around and grabbing the packages after you left from the porches, wouldn't you notify the police? It's like... Why are you not doing that when you see something on the computer or something strange that are on, on the computer? It's like, so you have to get to them. And if you do it once, I believe any employee that fails a, uh, a, a phishing attack, it's like they, on the first try, they get counseled. A new one-hour specialized training just can geared I, for people to do that. Yes. Can I ask, do you think... It's a, it's a trope that comes out quite a lot. Users are the weakest link. So do you think users are the weakest link? Or do you think they're the first line of defense? Or what's kind of your view on on that? Yeah, I think, um, I think that the uh, workers are not the weakest link. It's like I think information security throughout these years have failed the workers in educating them on their roles and what they're supposed to do. It's like the weakest link is going to be the inherentness of just human nature and getting technology to supplement people's uh, training to secure themselves. Everyone wants to rely on the technology to protect the users instead of getting the users to protect the technology. It's like, and that is the, the paradigm that has to shift. It's like, we need our users to understand, yes, we have a lot of filters in place and gateways and antivirus, but it means nothing without your help maintaining it and helping us give us that information. Because let's face it, it's like this whole moat mentality, you know, you build the moat around the castle and protect it. <laughs> they're, they're jumping in through paratroopers, you know, it's like uh, the, the walls don't matter. We've learned yeah. very well, you know, <laughs> building walls don't really solve problems around here. It's like, so it's straight up.
we have to understand the new paradigm that has shifted is like it is not about being breached or getting breached we have to assume that is going to happen the the key factors are how quickly can you detect and how quickly can you react your defenses are not bulletproof vest or uh walls or anything like that or barriers what they are are fireproof safes because you ever get a fireproof safe is it really fireproof it'll say on the the fine print it'll say fireproof up to three hours fireproof up to six hours fireproof up to seven hours it'll tell you how long you got it's like to get that fire out before your yeah. stuff is toast. But, but like, also following that analogy, Jason, if you if you put a, an incendiary device in the fireproof safe, it's not going to do anything for exactly. you at all. Well, yeah, and that goes on to a whole other tangent about why we're not segmenting our internal networks properly or doing proper egress filtering. It's just, like that's ridiculous. So just, uh, so we, we show, I'm sorry, uh, we show, we show everybody right. that... <laughs> They are part of the fireproof safe. That is part of their uh, thing that the quicker that they can detect or the quicker that it's harder for the person to get in, more easily they could be detected. So that's what we're trying to do. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, what were you saying, Sean? Uh, I was just about to say, I remember a talk that you gave uh, many years ago. I think it was either a DEFCON or a Black Hat. And I remember a phrase that you said that stuck with me um, since, since I watched that. And you said something along the lines of, you know, don't go, don't go after the low hanging fruit. The fruit is on the floor. Oh, exactly. In in your experience, I mean, have we improved security since since you gave that talk? I mean, what what what's your thoughts on the the security posture in terms of how we've moved along in the past, you know, five to ten years? Have we improved or or have the goalposts changed? No, no. See, I think that is one of our inherent things is that we're trying to get security to improve and like, oh, we're better security. We're better secured than we are. We were back then. And I'm like, we are dealing with technology. So yes, a hundred percent. Our information security technologies have vastly improved. It's like our defenses have vastly improved. And if we were fighting attackers and criminals from 2010, we'd be set. You know, it's like, bring on those people who have been in cryogenic sleep for 10 years and trying to use the same old tools and equipment. It's like they're in for a rude awakening. Unfortunately, those attackers are not asleep as well. Crime has been more incentivized and the increased ease of use of committing crime is just exponentially grown. Do you think that's true, though? Because if you look at, like, the kind of attacks that are happening now compared to 10 years ago, a lot of them are just, like, a lot of it just starts with a basic phishing attack. Like, they're using the same method and they're using, ransom, like, ransomware. People Like, I did a talk the other week about artificial intelligence and how whether attackers are going to start using AI to improve their chances of, like, attacking organizations. And I was like, well, why would they bother when ransomware works so fucking well? When they just they do a basic phishing email, get some ransomware, and they're done. You they're already quits in it's like the easiest thing ever well that that is a very good point it's like i do say that it's like i am tired of the whole apt uh <laughs> nonsense it's yes. like 
Yes. Oh, we were victims of APT. It's like, that's what you <laughs> tell your shareholders in the public. It's like APT for most people stand as, you know, advanced persistent threats. Uh, for me, it will always be adequate fishing technique. That is what APT is. It's like, and, and more to your point, why do they need, when they're wanting something bigger, yes, they will go and match and evade that technology. Look at some of the attacks that have gone on to show that in government. It's like OPM and several of these other breaches. Uh, 2011, you had RSA being breached by a zero day that they burned. It's like uh, to get in with an Excel file. So, and that started with the phishing technique. So, yes, phishing techniques are still going to be there, but they're going to be more sophisticated depending on what they're trying to get after. Uh, the second thing, and this is uh, more to my point, was there are actual crime syndicates that are doing nothing but renting botnets for ransomware attacks, selling the ransomware programs, and then giving technical support call-in numbers for the criminals who have it. It's like, this is one of the biggest things. It's like, uh, that's one, one of the reasons why I'm a, um, a Hack Not Crimes uh, advocate is because of the fact that we get to the point where it's like, we're thinking these are hackers attacking us. No, these are criminals. It's like, if I get uh, robbed at gunpoint, I don't automatically assume that person's a gunsmith or a second rights <laughs> amendment activist or an NRA member. It's like it's a person who is using a tool to commit a crime. Computers are extremely, extremely helpful in committing crime. Mm. So why not utilize that? I don't have to leave my house. I can keep playing my PS5 because those motherfuckers got the PS5 because they were able to steal someone's credit card and buy a PS5. I don't have a PS5. It's like that upsets me. That should upset everyone. The criminals are getting away with all this because they may not understand everything, all the tools or how they're executing the attack. They just know it works. So, yes, there are crime syndicates that are making the tools more sophisticated. They are making, but they're also making them more available. And that is, once again, the dilemma of the defender. It's like they have to find one. We have to find many. We have to when we um when we talked to Rick Ferguson, we were talking about organisations that do like initial access as a service or ransomware as a service because it's become such a big business now that it is just like that people are like turning it into it as a service model. It's crazy. Oh, exactly. It's like I mean, back in the day, we had the Russian Business Network. It's like you know, back in the in the twenty uh, tens. It's like it's funny how everything's old is new again. It's like, you know, so it's like, uh, and some things never go out of style like fishing. So. Jason, uh, it, it's fantastic listening to you. I'm going to ask, can we take a, we're going to take a short break now. We're going to pop off and do some news. Uh, okay. We're going to come back. We've got some more questions for you and uh, yeah, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. No worries. Sounds like a plan. Bong. Here's the news. First up is the story of a teenager who managed to steal over £300,000 from unsuspecting members of the public by creating a fake love-to-shop website to harvest their account details. The boy, who will refer to as the advanced persistent teenager, then converted his ill-gotten funds into cryptocurrency, making himself a whopping £2 million in total, which has now been seized by law enforcement. 
If you're out there, APT, we need crypto tips ASAP. Next up, at the slightly higher end of the retail market, UK diamond retailer Graf has been hit by ransomware from the Russian group Conte, with attackers already releasing 69,000 confidential documents on the dark web. It was said that the attackers were looking for the organization's crown jewels, but with only client names and addresses being leaked, which are usually available within the public domain anyway, we're still unsure whether Conte hit the jackpot or if all they got was fool's gold. And finally, German news outlets claim to have identified a member of the infamous Revil ransomware gang, who reportedly lives the life of Riley off his ill-gotten gains. The gang member, nicknamed Nikolai K by a German newspaper, owns a 70,000 euro watch with a Bitcoin address engraved on its face and rents yachts for 1,300 quid a day whenever he goes on holiday. He seems to prefer T-shirts from Gucci, luxurious BMW sports cars and large sunglasses, reported the newspaper, which partly identified him through social media videos posted by his wife. The video, said the newspaper regarding the 1,300 quid a day yacht trip, is from Antalya on the south coast of Turkey, but others have come from a five-star hotel in Dubai, from the Crimean Peninsula or even the Maldives. It seems that crime does in fact pay. You stay safe, InfoSec community. Welcome back from the news, folks. Um, we are still joined by the wonderful Jason E. Street. Uh, I just want to kick off this uh, second half by asking you, Jason, um, a lot of the stereotype that surrounds, or at least what, what I think that surrounds, you know, InfoSec cybersecurity is that a lot of the people in it are introvert in nature um would you say it's to be a you know a successful social engineer such as yourself do you need to be an extrovert to do that well or what are your thoughts around that uh well i am the living proof that you don't uh uh because i am not an extrovert uh i i much prefer being by myself uh mm -hmm. I, I i do not do well uh with prolonged human exposure uh it's like so um it's the persona. It's like, uh, I think one of the reasons why, um, and a, a lot, a lot of people are introverted and a lot of people are good and hacking and stuff is because like, we all have very unusual coping mechanisms for the way our brain works. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's how we've adapted them. It's like, uh, uh, hacking and being a hacker, uh, is not something that you learn. It is something that you are. But what most people don't understand is that everyone was born a hacker. That innate curiosity of a child at three or four, where it's like, why, why, why? I, I, like, I want to do this. I posted about this the other day and said that my child is literally socially engineering me on a daily basis because yeah. on a nighttime she goes, mommy, you're the best. You're the best mommy ever. Will you help me tidy up? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, of course I will. And then I'm like, shit, yeah. you just fucking hacked my brain there. <laughs> no, they were hacking. They were doing social engineering since they were babies. Because remember, they realized, oh, if I cry, I get the bottle or I get the food or I get something. Or if I show that I've got a boo-boo, I will get a treat. No, it's in human nature. It's like what happens is as the years progress, uh, institutionalized education systems and peers and other humans just 
just stomp it out of them. And hackers that are make it till after 18 or, or you know, whenever, they're the ones that just kept it. We're able to manage to keep some of that uh, experience of why and natural curiosity and passion to do things and not just say, well, that's what the world is telling me it's supposed to be. But what if I do it this way? Or I think I could try this. It's like it might fail, but I will do that. So that is the difference. It's like, so uh, all my stuff that I learned from social engineering uh, was literally survival traits uh, that I picked up when I was young. I came from a very traumatic childhood. Uh, and so therefore I needed to know by reading a person's facial expressions or body language, if I was gonna get in, I was gonna get physical damage. I was gonna get something bad going to happen to me. Or if I could be more what they liked, it's like, then they would be less likely to do damage to me. So that is what I learned. It's like, so uh, I'm very, um, I was, I'm very old. So it's like I was born uh, where they did not know about autism. They didn't understand that it was just, you're hyperactive and uh, here's this and, and you're just a troublemaker. Uh, it's like, so uh, in the second grade, I was making straight A's. I was held back that year. Uh, because they said I was, even though I made straight A's, they said, it's like, well, he was too, he's too hyper. Uh, it's like, he probably would not be socializing. And I got in so much trouble for that. It's like, and so me presenting and being honest about who I was, uh, you know, and it is, and because being on the spectrum, being different was severely punished. It's like, I had to hide a lot of that. And so I'm not a good social engineer. It's just, I've always been a good mimic. I've always been a good chameleon to be what people want me to be. So <laughs> I could, you know, uh, be okay. It's like, but my pers online persona is very extroverted. My, you know, the um, social engineering part is, is very extroverted. Uh, but it is so after a conference, it is like it is so I am so drained. I am so physically exhausted. It's like I have uh, when you uh, when you see a good cue is when you see all my jewelry on. It's like that's Jason E. Street. That's Jason E. Street being the, the funny, witty guy and stuff. You know, the guy who's who can who can go out and do all these things. Uh, but me it's just me. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't want to deal with those things. And it's like, and, and it, it, and I literally have my jewelry in a suitcase because it's like the only time it's put on is when I'm uh, on a podcast or I'm on a, a certain kind of meeting or a certain, and that's the character they're expecting. Uh, but yeah, that is just the part I play. It's like uh, Jason street is way more boring. I just like being in here. It's like working. I like riding my bike. It's like, I like, uh, doing certain things, but I do not have to have any human interaction whatsoever to be okay. A lot of our guests in this series have have talked about uh, mental health, and it's something that it's very um, important. We're we're very um, keen on promoting ourselves. Mm. Um, and I'd like to ask you, if I may, and, and if this is too probing, please tell me to stop because I I can relate. I'm sure everyone listening sure. can relate. But I was at a conference uh, last week. And I decided to turn it into a two-day. I decided I'd do the overnight and go back the next day. And the second day, I really, really struggled. And I, I had to basically just run away. I couldn't, couldn't maintain it for the duration. 
because it, it's about masking, it's about putting on, on your persona, it's about acting the role or whatever. So do you find, um, do you ever find yourself struggling when you're in the middle of an engagement? Because you, you put on the persona, you go to do the engagement, but how hard is it for you to maintain that throughout whilst you, because I could imagine it suddenly catching you out. I mean, I've been in situations where I suddenly realised I can't continue hiding behind this this face. I need to I need to escape to, to oh. rebuild. No, no, those are fine. It's like, because uh, I've never had a problem with those. It's like conferences, yes. It's like conferences, like I, my the way I look at it is that um, the conference is totally different because that is, I need to be Jason E. Street, the best possible version of Jason E. Street when any person interacts with me any way, shape, whatsoever. Because for me, it's me having a bad day. It's me not wanting to be there. It's me trying to go to the restroom. It's like, but for that person, this could be the very first and only time they get to meet JC, someone they wanted to meet for a very long time for some reason. It's like that, that is the, their moment. And I have a responsibility to make sure that it's like, that is a good moment. Uh, when I was at DEF CON 12, I was an idiot. I did not do it very well. I was, uh, it was my first DEF CON uh, and I didn't understand everything going in and I embarrassed myself greatly. It's like by what I was trying to, I just, I took pictures and said I had conversations with some of the famous greatest minds in information security and hacking. And I, I wasted so many opportunities like that. It's like, it was a bad thing. And uh, what got me the most was FX and major malfunction, uh, Adam Lorry. It's like, they are legends. It's like, and not because of all their hacks, they're like Dan Kaminsky. It's like, they're not legends because of what they broke or what they, they built or what they discovered. They were legends because of how they are as a human in that role that they play. It's like, cause Adam Lorry and FX treated me, even though I embarrassed myself, they still treated me uh, like I mattered. And they still gave me more importantly, that second chance. It's like, cause anybody can make a horrible first impression. That's all I'm good at is making very bad first impressions. But they gave me that second chance. They, they did not just go and shut me down and write me off. Uh, it's like, and so that all I'm trying to do is be like that. And that is the reason why I'm always so open about my mental health and my struggles is because when I was growing up, no one ever talked about anything. So I was always the only one that dealt with this. I was the only person that was going through this. I'm, it was me. It's my fault. All this is my fault because I don't understand. It's like, I do not know what's going on. It's, and so that is, it's important that other people realize, no, it's like, this is me. There is a song from NF, uh, the letter N, the letter F, uh, and um, it's called uh, Just Like You. And one of the reasons that started to get me to, and this was just from this year, but one of the reasons why I first started to try to go and get therapy, try to get help a little bit more professionally uh, about what where I'm at my condition is because I heard that song. And it basically 
um I, I i love all his songs it's like and a lot of his songs are like sort of dark and sort of like you know uh, about his his past and i can relate to so many of them it's like you know especially his song his up until then my uh favorite song of his and the one that i found most relatable was the song hate myself and it's like because i loathe me it's like uh it's like so uh, it was just so really, but then when he did the just like you, it clicked because I realized you're not alone. There's millions of us just like you. And then he explained some of the things that was going on in his head that I was like, I'm struggling with that. And then the chorus is there's millions of us just like you. And so it's important for us to understand, to teach others that it's like, and that's what we do in information security, what we do in hacking is that we're trying to explain to people this happens to everyone this could happen to everyone be aware of that and try to get help with it and try to make it better and i think for those people who particularly younger people who are coming to terms with their own neurodiversity and their own struggles hearing people like you jason talking about how you you've turned it well turned it to an advantage and yeah. proved that it, it's not in any way um a stop to anything you want to know i think it, it's really it, important it, it, that, that young people appreciate that and learn that so that they can move forward successfully uh, and with confidence and what they need to understand is like they survived it's like they're they're learning they're they're they're, they're doing better it's like they're getting better it's like it, every day is a success. It's like, I mean, because there's so many factors that are trying to put them down. It's like, I mean, I survived my first murder attempt when I before I was 10. It's like, so it's like, so I'm like, I tell people, it's like, you should be afraid of me because other people better than you have tried to kill me and failed, including myself. It's like, so, uh, yeah, don't, don't go there. Uh, so we have to understand that... Uh, the fact that you're here and that you can hear these things and you're listening and that you're even listening to trying to find help is a success. And it's like, and so th there is no weakness in asking for help. There's no weakness in understanding that you have flaws. There's no weakness for MSO 867, uh, you know, being out there from 2008. It's like, uh, that's not on the person who created the original flaw. It's on the people who just don't refuse to patch it. They refuse to update. And that's where you have to realize it's like, I can update myself. I can uh, get a patch. And why am I not letting myself do that? Why am I staying vulnerable? I think... <laughs> I'm just like, wow. it's just think, what can you say to that? I think that was yeah. absolutely I'm like. Just, I'm just trying to digest everything you've said. Yeah. That's... I said I don't filter. I'm sorry. It's like, no, no, it's that's... like I say. And I'm glad you didn't filter. Yeah, me too. That, that was just fantastic. Yeah. Really fantastic. And and as I say, I'm I'm going to let so many people know about this and not, not within the industry. So many people outside the industry who who are going to be struggling with their lives. I think it's so wonderful to hear people like you talk um, in this way. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to just let everyone I know in on this one. That mean Rob and Sean are both fanboying Jason now. Have I made Stop. a fanboy out of you, Rob? I, I don't <laughs> have fans. I have friends, okay? 
It's like rock stars have fans. I'm a dentist. It's like, uh, it's like, you, you know, oh, you know I, I've got, I've, I've got a real thing for my dentist. Well, uh, let me explain this. It's like, <laughs> if I invented Invisalign braces, that's a huge deal. The guy who invented Invisalign braces made millions. He goes to dentistry conferences all over the world. It's like giving talks on it. He's probably written books. It's like. People come up to us like, can I get your picture? Oh my gosh, I love your work. It's like everything. It's like as soon as he walks out of that conference, you know what he is? He's an epic dentist. It's like I actually one time for a talk, I researched his name. I forgot what it was. Who cares? He's a dentist. It's like he, he was nobody important to me in my personal everyday life or anything like that. Yeah, he's a big deal in his industry maybe, but he ain't famous. It's like he's known. It's like I'm known. It's like I'm not famous. It's like, and the key thing here is we're just like dentists, not rock stars, because what do we do? Well, people don't really want to see us. It's like they only show up when they have to. We're usually just telling them things that they haven't done properly. It's like, and that they have to fix. Or we're showing them flaws that they have that need to be repaired and, and and updated. And it's usually a painful procedure. And it's not something anyone looks forward to. It's like, we're dentists. It's like, that is all we are. So we need to get over ourselves. And I understand human nature. We, mostly every person that has gotten to the point to be in this industry had to survive high school. Which was a horrendous experience for most people. It's like because they were probably not the jock. They were probably not the most popular uh, kid in school. It's like, and so they didn't what, fit in. What kind so of they, assumptions are you making there, Jason, about people in the industry? No, I'm saying predominantly. It's like because <laughs> I, I am saying the majority. It's like, yes, it's like, and you're right. There are some that are like very, I'm sure we're very popular and very uh successful it's like but when we talk about the ones with the uh neurodivergency it's like yeah you, you have you get singled out humans fear what they don't understand and what they fear they try to destroy and you are something and hackers have always been something people don't understand it's like and that is one of our problems there is the governor of a state uh in missouri in the United States right now, which is the highest elected official in that state, saying because you pushed F12 on your keyboard, <laughs> you hacked their website. Um, I'm, I'm on a Mac and I cannot see an F12 anywhere, so it wasn't me. I've done no yeah. just <laughs> and, and see, and, and to them, that's hacking because they don't understand. It's not because they're stupid. It's they're ignorant. It's like, and ignorance is not uh, a crime. Ignorance is not something to be looked down on. It's something to be educated. It's like, if you willfully ignorant, like that governor, well, then that's just stupid. It's like, it's like, he's trying to be willfully ignorant. It's like, but I'm ignorant on a lot of things. And I have no problem saying I'm ignorant of something, but I'm willing to learn and become educated on it. It's like, cause I try not to be stupid. 
so, um, yeah, it's that is one of our biggest problems. So a lot of the high school, it's like we just had that we didn't fit in. And yeah. and we're just like and so now we're trying to act like, oh, because you see DEF CON, if you go to DEF CON and you go to one of the DEF CON parties, because trust me, I was in through like I was there at Alexis Park uh, all the way uh, to where we are now uh, going to the Seniors Forum soon. It's like I, I seen York and every single one of those huge, I'm not going to single out any certain party, but every single one of those big brand selected parties, all they had in common was this. It's like, you got to have a special invite, maybe a special badge, maybe a code word or something. You got to do this thing to get in. It's like, we don't let just anybody in. We're the cool kids. You got to know this. It's like, oh, and you get the special bling scene and show everybody at the conference that you're going to be one of the ones that gets to go in. It's like, not them. <laughs> you got it. You're good. It's like, and oh, we're going to have all this music and we're going to get this entertainment. We're going to get uh, the, this uh, artist. We're going to have it in this location. It's going to be amazing. Not everybody gets to go, though. Okay. And then, oh, 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 and then, oh, and then, and guess what else? It's like, you know what happens? It's like, we're going to do it even bigger next year. It's like, uh, it's like, so it's like, so you can't, can't, don't tell anybody about it. Sometimes we do the secret locations. It's like, which you don't even know until that day. It's like, Jason, Jason, you are killing me because last week, I turned up at this this exhibition and I managed to get myself a wristband and I was so excited that I was going to a concert, uh, going to an after party that I didn't want to be at. And I knew that I didn't want to be there. And I got there and I stood against the wall in a corner, hoping nobody would see me. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I tell and people. I kept it on for the next day. Exactly. It's, it's just human nature. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I wear no. all my bling when I'm at the con. It's like, but the, the last two things that are, are common is the same crappy food and the same alcohol at every single party. Yeah. It's like, but the, the reason, course. the genesis of that, and this is my theory, I'm not saying it is specific, but my theory is the movie Weird Science is to blame. Weird Science is to blame on that. Because... <laughs> We showed all these impressionable hacker kids that all the and, and throughout several other movies, it's like not just weird science, but throughout the 80s and 90s, several shows with the theme of high school was all the cool kids had this went to this amazing party and they had all these cool things happen. And, all, and the, the, the odd ones and the nerds weren't allowed to go. They didn't get to go. So we all just assumed in high school, oh, my gosh, they must have had such a great party. I'm going to have that party now. I'm going to be the one that throws that party now. And it's like, and that's how it's gotten to the point. I usually, I will go and visit mostly every single party that occurs at DEF CON. It's like I'll go for 15, 20 minutes, and I'll just do a cycle throughout the night because I want to see everyone. And it's like, and I want to enjoy the uh, the thing. I'm not, I'm not partaking i'm not there because oh this is so special and you know where i usually hang out and spend the most time the black and white ball uh those are the generic everyone is allowed in that dt throws because dt throws the best party because it's inclusive to everyone that's there at defcon and those are the parties for me 
But I think that's the thing about cyber, isn't it? I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of gatekeeping goes on in this industry. Oh my gosh, yeah. People yes. want to like not let people in. And I said it, I can't remember if I said it on the last podcast. It was, I think it was on the last uh, yeah. with Dave, um, where I was like, if I teach somebody something, I don't get any more stupid. Right. So why do people yeah. not help people get into the industry? Right? If you help someone get into the industry, you're not losing anything. You're still in the industry. It makes no sense. I tell people, it's just like, it, well, that's just a, a perfect theory. It's like with the, uh, when I tell people, when I talk about systemic racism in our country, it's like, I always talk about, it's, it's not pie. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like, if I don't, if I give you a slice, it's not like I've less, it's more like the numeric pie. It's infinite. We got enough pie for everyone. Stop thinking you have to bake it. It's like, it's pie for everyone. And so, um, and so, and I also say, I think gatekeeping and hacking is one of the most ludicrous and absurdities I've ever heard of because we're freaking hackers. Why do you need a gate for? Jump the fence. It's like, stop trying to act like there's a gate or that it's going to tell you what to do. It's like, so uh, we have to go past it. I did a talk for uh, La Hack uh, where I keynote. It was like 15 minutes. I just talked what I wanted to talk about. And I was saying, it's like, who here at this conference has ever uh, popped a shell? And then I was like, as people started to raise their hands, like, don't raise your hand. I don't effing care. <laughs> Who here has done a buffer overflow? Don't raise your hand. Doesn't effing matter. It's like, you're here. You belong. Because it's the curiosity and the passion to go out and look and venture out. That makes you a hacker. There is no other qualification. There is no certification or degree that gives you enough acceptance. The only acceptance that you get to belong in this industry is the one you allow yourself. You're your own worst gatekeeper. It's like there is no one out there uh, worse than that. You need to defeat that one, and then who cares what anybody else mother says? It's like so. We, we were talking to to John back on episode two, and he said much the same. He said when people ask him how to be a hacker, he says you don't don't join a hacking group. Make a hacking group. Exactly. Just set yourself up and get on and do it. Don't ask at, permission. Just make it happen. At DEFCON, uh, as the DEFCON group ambassador, it's like one of the things I love saying is one of the things that was before me. It's like I just repeated a lot uh, is the, uh, the, the credo that's in DEFCON groups is if there's not a DEFCON group in your area, make one. It's like, and I love that. It's like, it's all about doing that. And, and Adam Lori has another great saying. I don't want to bastardize it, but it's like, he's, he's like with the whole DEF CON ethos. It's like, if you don't know something, learn it. If you learn it, get really good at it and then teach it. It's like yeah. knowledge is supposed to be shared. It's like, I have literally watched a person do a talk on stage that almost mimicked exactly one of my previous talks and the only thing i thought was awesome <laughs> because he did it in his way with his perspective and his i think so i was able to inspire someone there is no copying in this industry we all are worried about like well that person is just copying this other person's talk who cares that person was inspired enough by that person's talk to give their perspective and to give their version of it. And you never know what version is going to resonate with what people. He may have said things in a certain way because he didn't mimic me. He said his own story. He said his own talk. 
And that may have resonated with someone in that audience way better than I did. And that impacted them. I think at, my, at Microsoft, they call it building on the work of others. It's not exactly. plagiarism. It's just building on someone else's work. And I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it. Um, and I think like lots of people in IT do that anyway, like coders. When was the last time you coded a website from scratch? Like people just copy and paste code, right? Stack well, Overflow. No, nobody Hello. reinvents the wheel. Yeah. Stack Overflow is a website dedicated to that theory. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, have you got one last question before we uh, Yes, I have. Um, so last question. How has the pandemic affected your work, Jess, and how has it changed the way you do things? Oh, that is, oh, wow. That was a, you're going to regret this. <laughs> uh, it's like, um, the, uh, the, the pandemic has been horrible for me. Uh, it, it has literally been, uh, one of my worst experiences, uh, and also some of my better uh, at the same time. It's very mixed, of course, but um, when it started, I always like to be optimistic till I'm proven wrong. It's like, or till I'm proven right, actually. Uh, it's like, because I'm usually worst case, and I'm very good at predicting things, and it's like, and it's, and trust me, that is not fun. Being always right is not fun. It's like, especially when most of the stuff that you're you're predicting is bad. It is fucking horrendous when you always right. I know. Yeah. So the uh, very hold on. It's like so <laughs> the uh, uh, well. There's a woman here. It's like uh, it's like you know. Obviously, going to they are always right. Default in my 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 book uh, because uh, also they are the most deadliest of the uh, of the uh, uh, humans uh, category. Uh, so yeah, I try not to uh, tread uh, heavily around uh, around them. Uh, it's like. Um, it's like, see how I accidentally, ex accidentally navigated that little minefield right there. Yeah. Like I did that blindfolded in a rainstorm, trying to do the waltz. It was, uh, it was. I, I, I was very proud yeah, of that. That was masterful, Jason. Well, thank you very much. It's like so. Um, it started out where I thought, okay, okay we're all going to wear a mask. We're all going to start taking people. And we started with the quarantining and realized, and we're like, okay, we're going to quarantine. It's like we're going to lock down. And we're going to start figuring out that it's like, that's what saves us is understanding that I'm not protecting me. I'm protecting you. And then you're protecting me. And then we're all protecting each other. And then it goes away. But once again, I overestimate normal humans. Normal people scare me. They terrify me. Uh, it's like I actually created one thing. Uh, a friend of mine, we created. He's got a T-shirt. I think it's like uh, called nomophobia, uh, which is my fear of normal people. Uh, it's like uh, the Latin word for normal, and then of course phobia. But it's like uh, because that is what I have. It's like normal people frighten me because it's like you look at because we realized very quickly, especially in America, where our politics, it were a, a pandemic that was killing, that has killed more Americans than every every war and conflict in history of our country it's like how it became inconvenient to be considerate and we realized that my convenience is greater than consideration of your life or my own for that matter i would rather have convenience than breathe 
I would rather have convenience than see you die. It's like, so I'm okay with that. And that is basically what it is. It's like, and so in May or June of 2020, uh, I started just going, when I started seeing people not wearing masks, when I started seeing people not really caring and making it like, literally had someone scream at me, well, vote Democrat because I told him he was not wearing a mask in, in a public space because I will confront everyone. Uh, it's like, uh, and during that year, uh, it was very bad for me because uh, 20s Jason came out. Uh, Jason in his 20s was a very non-adorable person. We'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> I was in a lot of physical altercations. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I drew blood. I had blood drawn on me. It's like I, I, I did not shy away from a physical confrontation and uh and i was usually armed uh it's like so it's like i did not play around very much with those kind of things and i and the, it stems because i'm a pacifist it's like i abhor <laughs> violence and i do not want people to try to, to to do violence on me but my response is if you initiate violence because every person i've ever been in a fight with you have to hit me first you have to show intent that you're going to try to hurt me and then I retaliate and make it to the point where you never want me to get in a physical altercation with you again. It's like, and usually I did not get satisfied until that person was on the ground uh, bleeding and understanding why it was such a negative experience for them. It's like, so 20, and, and so in 2020, that came out. And so I would, when I, and I realized it took me months to figure out why that was like that. And I realized what it was. Every person that wasn't wearing a mask in public, they were threatening my life. Just like if they were hitting me, they are threatening my, they are threatening my life. It's like, I wore three masks. It's like, I only wear two now. It's like, cause I have all three vaccine shots. It's like, uh, it's like, but I was wear, literally wearing three masks. And people, one person mocked me that way. He's like, you're wearing three masks. And I was like, yeah, I'm wearing one mask to protect me, one mask to protect others, and then another one for your stupid, you know, blank. Uh, it's like, uh, and so I did not show, I had one person threaten to shoot me. Uh, I waited around. He just went into his truck and left. It's like, uh, I, I was, I carry a knife, uh, a hunting knife. It is not a, a small indiscreet blade. It's uh, strapped on my waist in a draw pattern. I've been sword fighting since I was seven. Uh, so it's like, if I have a blade, it doesn't really matter if you have a gun within six feet of me. It's like, I, I will probably end you. Uh, I might get a, a flesh wound or something, but um, it's like, uh, we, we tested that out when I was working on a gang task force. It's like a deputy kept spouting. So we, we had a little draw. Um, it ended with my hilt of my blade to his throat and uh, his gun pointed at my leg. And I was like, ow, I got a boo-boo. It's like, I just slit your throat, I win. Uh, so he said, he said, he's like, well, then I'll just stand seven feet from someone. I'm like, yeah, if you stand seven feet from me, you're gonna kill me. But most gun battles happen within six feet of a person. Uh, so um, I digress. So um, so yeah, so I carried this knife and I had someone at the, at the store actually say, it's like, why are you carrying that knife? And I was basically like, because it's like, I don't like guns. 
and I plan on killing anyone who tries to threaten my uh, threaten my safety. It's like, and I just kept walking. It's like that answered it. It's like because in Texas, anyone can carry a gun now with no training, no idea. Just wear the gun, and so I want to. And so what that does is shows don't mess with me. It's like you know, and so it's just because I don't want confrontation. Uh, so it's like I try to look like I'm not worth the effort. Uh, it's like so that 2020 came out and I just got very down. I got very depressed. Uh, November, um, was the, I hit my rock bottom where it was like, um, but instead of resorting to suicide, which is usually my go-to, uh, uh, 2018 was still fresh in my mind. It's like, I walked in front of a bus in New York city and, and, and made contact. I was uh, fully committed, but it just didn't, uh, do the job. Uh, but I mean, thankfully, but it, Oh God, it hurt for, for days. Uh, it's like, um, it was embarrassing. Uh, but, uh, so I didn't get to that part, but, um, I started playing no man's sky, uh, during Thanksgiving. I mean, I played 20 hours a day. Uh, it literally saved my life. It's like, because I was able to be not on this planet. I was able to explore other galaxies and see other planets and stuff. Uh, I, I did over probably 200 hours and probably about a week or so. Uh, it was insane, but I wasn't harming myself physically. Uh, it's like, though, I, I, I forgot to eat a lot. Uh, it's like I was just being somewhere else. And so that gave me that buffer to start trying to realize there was something going on. And then in December, I was tasked with a client who, you know, fired me, uh, to do this very menial, tedious task. And that's when I started understanding with my issue and not being able to complete small, tedious things. Uh, it has to be something that interests me for me to do things. Uh, and so 2021, I'm starting to get better. And now when I see people that don't wear masks, I realize they're just killing themselves now. They're not a threat to me uh, as much. Uh, because I'm still wearing a mask because I care about others and uh, I'm vaccinated. Um, but um, it still irritates me to see so many people in this world and so many people in this world that still allow the hate to rule them, to allow their their insecurities and false superiorities to, uh, to, to control them where they have to hurt others to make themselves feel better. Uh, so... Yeah, 2020 did not do good for me. I did not do any jobs in 2020. I did not do any engagements in 2020. I would not go on a plane. Uh, my When I got off of the uh, plane from Finland, it was the last uh, plane that I was on in the year 2020. Uh, it's like, so um, uh, my, uh, my trip to Saudi Arabia coming up in November is the first trip that I will take internationally since then, uh, which is the longest I've gone in over a decade without going outside of the country. Uh, was this this whole uh, stint? Uh, it's like, and so, um, yeah, 2020 was not good. It's like people need to understand that, and uh, it's about consideration. It's like people talk about cancel culture. It's not cancel culture. It's consideration culture, because now we're starting to realize, and the people who have never been considered, it's like now are having the voice and the strength to start saying, no, you're going to have to consider me. It, you don't get a free pass anymore. I don't have to accept the slap on the ass or being called boy or being discriminated against 
because I decided to choose exactly what my meat robot represents. It's like, because, I mean, that's all we are, meat robots. It's like, we, we some have certain, uh, we're born with certain paint jobs. We all do body, modif uh, you know, meat robot modifications to our bodies. It's like to, to make it look like the way we want the chassis to be. We're all not happy with it. And it's like, and we all do, you know, customizations to it. It's like, and we all, we have every right to choose exactly like, this is the meat robot I want to be, or this is the one that I want to plug into. This is the one that I, I, I want to connect with. It's like, it, it just boggles my mind that that is still a foreign concept to some people in this day and age. And that is what's happened uh, starting now that we're starting to learn that consideration is way more important sometimes than convenience. I'm done. Sorry. I ramble too much and I talk too much and y'all been very polite. I apologize. Jason, you you, you do great. ramble and you, you don't talk too much. You are absolutely fantastic to listen to. And uh, well, to date, definitely my favorite guest. Yep. Um, it is not a competition. I'd agree, but like, all of the other guests have been my actual friends. So I can't really say that Jason's been the best one. Exactly. I totally <laughs> agree with that. There, there are Dave Kennedy owns his own company it's like he's got his own tardis in his room he's got a delorean he is i i am not jealous of dave kennedy it's like he is a great wonderful person he is a huge impact on uh and positive impact in our community it's we like he's an amazing person jesus. i refer to him as cyber jesus yeah it's like he's an yeah. amazing person and uh it's like it's not a competition it's like i am totally okay with that it's like uh and more people need to understand that they need to be okay with that. It's like, we're all on our life journey. When I die, it's me. It's just me. My things that I competed, that I achieved. And I will not be on my deathbed if I make it that long to go and say, cause I'm thinking mine's gonna be sudden and quite surprised and go with, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But, uh, but seriously, it's like, if I'm on my deathbed, it's going to be not how much money I made, or how successful, or how many people fanboyed over me, or uh, it's at least two. I, I can tell you, it's at least two fanboys. Okay, both right how many people <laughs> did I help make better? How many people oh. did I impact in a positive way? Yeah. How many lives did I affect in a good way? And also weighing on the ones who I affected negatively. It's like those are what I'll be thinking about. Uh, because those are the only things that matter at the end of the day. It's not money comes and goes and success comes and goes. How many people you can change. I have not created any tools. Uh, I do not create uh, those things. My thing is communication. But I know that I have helped others with my talks who've gotten into the engagements. I've helped someone with my book who founded a company and created a tool. It's like that I use to this day. And it's like it was because and I found out only like years later, it was because of my book when they read it that gave them the idea. It's like, so I'm done. There is no need to compete with anyone. I've established my accomplishment. I've changed one person's life positively. What else do I need to do? I don't have to prove anything to anyone else because uh, I proved it to myself. I think that is a brilliant way to end the show. Thank you yeah, so much, yeah. Jason, for coming and talking to us. I would love to sit and talk to you for like another five hours, I'm not going to lie, but um, I 
we just don't have time. I don't want. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was fantastic. And please do come back again another time if sure. you were, if you don't mind, because that was absolutely definitely one of the most interesting conversations we've had. So thank you very Indeed. much. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Sean. Thank, thank you. you to the Zero Folks community uh, and everyone for listening. Thank you. Bye bye. And don't forget to tune in next week to hear me, Jackery Sider, where I tell true stories from the dark side of the internet.